0: See?
1: Your host, Karen Tate, and um, I want to uh, tip my hat uh, to uh, Mother Gaia uh, with uh, Earth Day just being uh, very recently. Um, I'm sitting here looking out of my window at a, a, a beautiful, beautiful day and uh, can't help but feel blessed in spite of all that's going on all around us. So, um, for this weekend, uh, we have a double header and uh uh as you know um the weekends are not usually the time that i uh do the show uh and i like to repeat this right now um you know uh d- during this unusual time um i had uh I set my shows to be Wednesday at 11 a.m., uh, but that's not possible, uh, probably for about a month. So you will catch the show on usually a Friday or Saturday or Sunday uh, going forward for the next few weeks. And uh, this particular weekend, today and tomorrow, we have a doubleheader at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. And uh, with me both days uh, is Laura Perry. Uh, you know her here as our Mino- no an expert, uh, but uh, she's uh, got a lot of other tools in her toolbox. Uh, she's also a shamanic practitioner. Uh, As well as um, You know all the other hats she wears And uh, that is the Expertise uh, we are Calling upon uh, This weekend with her And um, this all Came about because I suddenly Or was it suddenly I don't know I've been having a hankering uh, To uh, learn more About trance and uh, Channeling and Prophecy and uh... i was reading this uh, great book i think it's pretty new uh... out by janet Ferrar and uh, i think gavin bone uh... and it's called lifting the veil and uh... you may know janet is a pretty famous uh... witch in the uk i believe And uh, she's been around for decades, Um, you know, a lot of expertise under her belt. So I thought, uh, what a great book to point me uh, in the direction of that sort of thing uh, because um, I didn't have a lot of training in it, though I'd had some very interesting uh, experiences uh, by accident, more or less, I think. And um, so anyway, I was delving a bit deeper, and all of a sudden, I realized that Laura had been quoted in the book. And so I thought, I know her. What a great person. I can call her and talk to her uh, about this subject. And so that's what happened. Uh, we started a long conversation about trans work, and um, uh, we decided we would get together this weekend and uh, delve deep. Uh, We'll kind of do beginner stuff today and delve a little deeper tomorrow. Uh, No doubt there will be some overlap. Uh, But what I found really great about that book, and another reason I wanted to bring this subject to the foreground, um, was because um, I felt Janet, the author of the book, had been very candid, and I so appreciated that. She said she had done a survey among people who do ritual in circles, and she asked a lot of the participants about um, the rituals that they experienced, you know, over time in, in their lifetimes, and asked what percentage actually believed during the course of the ritual that their high priest or high priestess actually invoked and embodied and aspected and channeled uh, the deity down into them, um, allowing the deity to be present in the circle. And I think the percentage was like 95% or 98% said, well, just about, no time did they think it ever really happened, and that really sort of validated for me most of the rituals I attended, and I went, yes, yes, Um, you know, that's what I believed, and I honestly didn't have the courage to speak it, so anyway, I'm older and wiser now, and there's not much I won't talk about, (laughs) Uh, so anyway, here we are, so I want to say uh, welcome, Laura Perry, to uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine.
0: Well, thanks for so much for having me on.
1: Well, and thank you for being willing to give up so much of your time today and tomorrow. Um, uh, before we start, let me just uh, you know uh, do you credit uh, by uh, speaking your bio because you're so accomplished. Um, Laura oh, no. Perry. If this is the first time uh, you are hearing her on the show, though she's been on, uh, you know, uh, more than a handful of times over the years, uh, she is an artist, a writer, uh, the founder and facilitator of Modern Minoan Paganism, um, the Minoans of Bronze Age. Bronze Age Crete uh, have been her passion uh, since uh, a fateful art history class introduced her to the colorful frescoes of Knossos uh, on Crete. She's been practicing trance work, trance possession and shamanic journeying uh, since the 1990s and she says when she's not busy drawing, writing or leading rituals and workshops you can find her digging in her garden or giving a living history demonstration at a local historic site. I Wish I lived closer to you, Laura. <laughs> um, so, so talk a little bit about how you came to um, maybe be uh, interviewed for Janet and Gavin's book, uh, "Lifting the Veil."
2: Um, well, I had actually met them many years ago uh, at a gathering when they came over uh, to the U.S. And uh, sometime had. Uh, elapsed and I started following them on Facebook and they put out a call they they told everyone what they were writing about um, this was probably three or four years before the book was published it, they did a lot of research on it um, and they asked for people's experiences of trance or lack thereof um, specifically in Wicca because that's what they do um, and I responded and I guess um, what I said to them um, fit well enough in with what they were trying to uh, provide for the public in the book uh, that they included it. So, yeah, it's um, it's definitely a controversial and tangled subject in modern paganism.
1: So why do you think that is?
2: Um, honestly, I think it's because... Um, it's because of the way it has been framed um, over time. Like um, when people talk about, if you say transpossession, which is what you're talking about when you draw down the goddess into the body of the priestess in a ritual, right? That's transpossession. That that word right there puts people off, right? Because... um, That word used in a Christian context means someone is being overtaken against their will by essentially a demon. But it's probable, I think anyway, that the church purposely vilified um, pre-Christian transpossession practices, you know, in the same way that they demonized the pagan gods. And so... um, the idea of, of trance, as much as we would all like to think that we are really just pagan, we are living in, um, in a, a sort of Christian-based Western world culture. And that, um, that spin on the concept of trance, I'm sure, just kind of seeps into most of us, um, kind of by osmosis, just because we're surrounded by it, even if we don't consciously believe it.
1: Right. Well, and what comes to mind for me is two things, um, you know, to piggyback on what you just said. It makes sense to me that the church would not um, want people feeling like they had this um, direct connection to the divine, because let's not forget, you know, they want us to use a priest as an intermediary, you know, that we don't have that power ourselves and uh the fear that's attached to it um you know you think of the the movie the exorcist <laughs>
0: right you know
1: right. um that that you know you think something like that is going to happen um um, but then, you know, uh, coming from New Orleans, we had a lot of uh, voodoo practitioners, and it doesn't seem like the the practitioners of uh, I think they called it voodoo sant uh, or, or kenobo uh, they have different uh, you know different sects. Um, they don't seem very afraid of it. It doesn't seem. Um, uh, any thoughts on that?
2: Well, of course they're not afraid of it. It's an integral part of their spirituality. Um, they know what they're doing. In other words, to to someone who is not familiar with what a ritual in any of the African syncretic traditions might look like, it might look scary. It might look out of control, but it really isn't. You know, they're the people who run those rituals know what they're doing, and um, it is actually a fairly safe activity for the people who participate in it because they're trained, they know what to expect. Um, it's a controlled setting. So it's not, you know, it's not a wild party. It's not people standing around waiting for some demon to come drag them around the room. You know, it's it's a... Right. It's, it's, there's a structure to it. Um, I think, And I think that, too, has been kind of demonized, the, the African syncretic traditions. You know, just because they're not they're not a bunch of people sitting around in a room listening to someone talk, right? It's it's a little wilder than you know your standard Protestant Christian um, uh, worship service. So it it's outside the bounds for a lot of people. It would it makes them uncomfortable just because it's not just because it doesn't look like what they expect religion to look
1: like. Right. And let's not forget, uh I'm sh- you know, the racism, uh you know, like right. I'm sure there's a racism oh, yeah. element too, just like uh the British with Kali, you know, uh and yeah. the thuggies. Um well you know what and it, I remember an interesting part of uh, lifting the veil, um, uh, cause they talk about the voodoo rituals and the deity would ride uh you know the person of their choosing and i had to chuckle because they talked about uh oftentimes the uh, the loa or mm. deity uh likes to pick an unsuspecting newcomer you know kind, as kind <laughs> of guess. a trickster you know and i thought man that would be my luck <laughs> you know i I'd, I'd go and i'd i'd end up being the one getting my shoulder tapped um I, I can imagine that must be quite an experience um because it seems like you know uh you know from listening well listening from reading um uh, janet 's book, and you know they give a lot of different descriptions in this book about um, what would happen in these rituals when the uh, the man or woman uh, aspected the god or goddess, and uh, you know these deities can be quite um, I don't know, they're quite characters, you know, uh, they like to wear particular clothing, you know, they Mm. like to, Uh you know, uh, enjoy food and drink and dance and be merry, Um, you know, you almost wonder, I, I found myself thinking, hmm, I wonder if it ever goes so far as to, you know, the deity experiences, you know, some sort of sexuality Uh, during the possession, but uh, they didn't quite go there, you know, so that just kind of left it in my imagination. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, unless you uh, have any thoughts about any of that, I thought we would, you know, maybe just start at the beginning and talk about what is trance. Because it seemed like in that book, there's different you know very many different levels of it. Uh, aspecting is different from channeling, which, dif- which is different from drawing down the moon and the charge of the goddess and all of that stuff. Um, so you know, I defer to you, um, you know uh, this trance 101 begins now.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, let, let me preface all of this with. I am a trans
2: practitioner. I have been doing it in a number of different pagan uh, traditions and settings for, um, I guess, oh my gosh, since the 1990s, early 90s, whatever that calculates out to. But I don't really consider myself an expert, okay? I am, um, I'm just, I'm a practitioner and I can share what I what I've experienced and what I have learned about it um but that's I just I just want to um what I say is not necessarily the um the one definitive word on any of it okay so this is just my point of view um Sure So um trance really is um it's a state of consciousness um you know, people talk about altered states. Um, it and and you you mentioned the different names. Everything from aspecting all the way to you know to drawing down the moon and all of that. Um, it's sort of a spectrum. Um, it's a spectrum in the same way that. Um, the mind state of concentration is a spectrum, right? So you can be really, you can be so focused on something that you're working on that you don't even hear the doorbell ring, or you can be just focusing on it enough to pay attention to it and also keep an eye on the other stuff that's going on in the room. So trance is kind of like that too. Um, it is an altered state of consciousness compared to what most people consider our normal or default setting which is just sort of awake and aware. Um, there are levels to it from light trance to very deep trance. Um, and the levels, um, your experience of the levels will will determine, like in light trance, you might still be mostly in control and fully aware of what's going on around you. And in deep trance, after you come out of it, you might not really remember very well what went on. Um, so in that sense, it's a a spectrum. Um, it's also instinctive um, or maybe even uh, you might want to say hardwired into our nervous systems. Um, it is possible to trance using various chemical assistance but it is absolutely not necessary. Um, our, our brains, our nervous systems are already wired for it um, and it's a lot easier a state to get into than most people
0: realize.
1: Okay. Um, I mean, I know the, the few times that it's happened to me, and and I'm saying a few times in uh, probably two decades. I mean, this isn't something that uh, this very left brain Virgo who doesn't like to lose control, you know, it doesn't happen to me, you know, like with a snap of the finger. But I think the first time it happened for me, I was sleep-deprived and food-deprived. The mm-hmm. second time it happened... Um, I believe I had been repeating mantras to myself, and um, there was uh, Novocaine or something involved, um, so, you know, I think maybe I had some unexpected assistance there, um, So, uh, you know, so if you're not going to use, say, uh, you know, uh, a sacred hallucinogen, um, what are some of the tools that generally people use to help them get there?
2: Um, Okay, so on
1: a very basic level, you reach
2: a state of trance via hypnotic suggestion. Okay, and it's the same kind of hypnotic suggestion that a psychiatrist might use with you in their office, um, but it's in a different setting and with a different purpose. Um, and it's not stage hypnotism either, okay? So um, hypnotic suggestion can be something as simple as um, listening to rhythmic sounds like drumming um, or focusing on your own breathing, um, like you were talking about repeating the mantra over and over again, and you kind of hypnotized yourself into that trance state um, it's um, it's much it's much more common than you might think. Have you ever watched kids twirling around until they get high? I mean that's trance that's like the whirling dervishes um, if you've ever uh if you've ever been at a party with uh, music that has a really heavy pounding bass beat that just goes on and on and on, eventually you will trance to that, um, unless you're really, really tense or very anxious about something. Um, a lot of yeah. artists and writers trance while they're working. You know, yeah. you get, so yeah. tot- get so totally into it, you just kind of fall into it and the rest of the world goes away. Um, yeah oh
1: yeah i know what i know what you mean i mean i i go go ahead sorry oh what one of my favorite examples
2: um uh driving on the interstate is incredibly monotonous and i've had a number of people who came up here um i live just outside of atlanta and i and people come come to visit us um they come via the interstate and they frequently comment about how they um, somehow some large portion of it just didn't even exist they were driving and then suddenly they were here and if that's ever happened to you you know while you're driving in on especially on uh, a very monotonous kind of setting like an interstate um, then that's trance too believe it or not yeah
1: Well, you know, you're making me think about an incident um, that I had uh, at a beach ritual once. It was my role to portray Aphrodite, and I had to give a monologue, basically, speaking as if I were her, and um oh this was not an easy thing for me to do because i'm no actress and at the time i was afraid of my own voice so the idea of portraying a goddess and standing up there in front of people doing it was petrifying um oh, but yeah, i remember you know uh, <laughs> you know the first after the first few sentences in i don't remember anything mm-hmm. until the end and i actually had to ask my husband later how did it go? Was I even coherent? Um, yep. did, you know, did because uh, I had been practicing with him, so he kind of knew the script. And he said, well, it, it sounded perfect to me. Um, so it's uh, it, But now, you know, in that particular day, I didn't take any steps. Um, and I certainly wasn't trying the trance. I was just hoping, like, heck, I remembered my lines, you know. But it, I think I disappeared there for a bit.
2: Well, and maybe you did. Um, you're uh, you're a longtime priestess, and you understand opening yourself up to the divine. So, if in if in the back of your mind you said, essentially, Aphrodite, help me do this, then maybe that's what happened.
1: I, I and I did. I really did. I prayed very hard uh, on the beach by the shoreline. You know. Uh, beforehand and said please I do need help and uh, there you go you know um, yeah. well now tomorrow you know we're going to get into the deeper stuff um, but let's you know lay a little bit more groundwork for you know just kind of exploring the hidden depths here um, so all right, so you've talked a little bit about how people might experience it in ordinary life without realizing it. Um, are there mm-hmm. any other examples you can think of? I mean, like those maybe those hypnotists on stage? Um, is that something different, or is kind of the same thing or:
2: Well, it is and it isn't. Um, those people are being hypnotized, but it's not for the same kind of purpose um, and and so being being in a hypnotic state is not necessarily um, trance is a hypnotic state, but not all his hypnotic states are trance. How's that? Um, trance has um, in in the context that we're talking about it, trance has the specific uh, purpose of um, connecting with the divine in one way or another, and um, Obviously, stage hypnotism is just about um, putting someone in that mind state for entertainment. Um, proper hypnotherapy is about um, helping people reach parts of their mind, parts of their uh, conscious and subconscious minds that they can't normally get to. Um, and those are also altered states of consciousness, but they're not the same as trance. That, does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, in, well, one of the things, too, that came up, I think, in the book with uh, Janet's book, Lifting the Veil, and another book I picked up at the library on channeling, um, it seems like there are all sorts of beings I'm just gonna use that word very loosely, um that uh-huh. one can channel. Ancestors, angels, uh demons, but not the the D E M O N. It's the D A E M O N of the Greeks, you know, uh right. not evil beings. Uh you know, and of course you have deity Um, can you, you know, can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, do you, do you believe, I mean, has that been your experience, um, or, um, you know, or when you've done this, um, has it been primarily to aspect a goddess?
2: Um, when I've done it, personally, it has been to connect with spirit allies, um, to do certain kinds of spirit work journeying and to, uh, to do trance possession with deities. Um, I will tell you, though, that if you don't, um, if you don't have some training um, and you don't organize your, your trance uh, setting so that you have a specific purpose, that, so that you know who or what you're trying to connect with, or who or what you're trying to honor, or however you want to put that. Um, if you just go into trance and open yourself wide up, then whatever is around might just happen to take advantage of the situation. You know. So um, and I've seen it happen. I have thankfully never had that happen to myself because I had some training to start out, and and I was uh, taught how to. How to focus it and how to sort of protect myself, but yeah, you want to um, trance can be used um, to connect with a wide variety of energies, entities, um, of like not just not just the things that you mentioned, but uh, you know, spirit allies of various sorts, um, even ancestors. But you have to know which channel you're going to tune your radio to before you start, if that makes any sense. Um, Because otherwise you have no control over what comes through and it might not be pretty.
1: Mm. Well, uh, and and I have to say, again, I keep going back to that book uh, because uh, it it was so jam-packed with, I mean, it was just dense with information, made me think about things I didn't even realize I should be thinking about. Um, but, you know, what does that mean exactly, spirit allies? I mean, um, is is that someone who had lived before? Is that a humanoid spirit? Um, you know, maybe that's a that's a crazy question, but I guess I'm just trying to get a more Clear idea of a spirit ally. I mean, I immediately think of guardian angel, um, but is is that is you know is that accurate?
2: Yeah. Well, okay. So, spirit ally is a term that I use in order to avoid using any um, cultural appropriative terms, um, because every, every culture has had, or still, many of them still have, a term for the non-human beings who are our allies, our helpers, our teachers. Um, and um, that, for me, that includes um, deities. It includes um, not quite deity-level beings. Um, in the african syncretic traditions, those beings might be called Lua. Um In some cultures, they might be called saints. Um, it also includes my ancestral guides, um, as well as um, some animal guides that I have. Um, so it's it's sort of a catch-all term that I use for all of the the non-human beings who are uh, willing to help me in my spiritual work.
1: So where do you think the Ouija board fits into this aside from that, you know, that negative stereotype we have from Hollywood? Um, can that be used in a positive way
0: or well, are there I mean, better tools? Any...
1: Well, that's – okay, so that's not
2: exactly a trance tool. Um, it it can be a trance tool. Some people do um, set up
0: the – or
2: they arrange their settings so that um, they do go into a light trance and um, and the Ouija board can be used to channel. Um, I think the main problem with that is that frequently when people are, are doing that, once again they don't have any training they don't know how to protect themselves or how to filter out um, because essentially, with a Ouija board, if you say, "Hey, is anybody out there? Talk to me," you are leaving yourself wide open, and uh, you know, not every non-human being is friendly or helpful. Um, right. And so, um, I mean, it certainly know, it certainly can be used as a trance tool if it's used, you know, with with some degree of um, preparation
1: and and you know my uh, I, I will say it you know my naivete about this um you know got dinged uh because you know the times i feel like i connected with isis uh you know were very good experiences um i was not afraid which was sort of leaving me in a state of entering this maybe not taking the necessary precautions i should um you know can you speak to that a little bit i mean janet you know and the, janet and gavin mm-hmm. talked in the book about this should kind of be a buddy system thing i mean they had rituals in there where uh i think they called uh, called it a psychopomp maybe uh it, you know they're kind of like a uh, a tether or Uh, You know for the person That's going into trance That they have a voice to follow Or something like that Um, Is is that your experience as well Yeah well It it depends on how
2: you're doing it Um, But yeah Typically what you want is another person around um, Who is not Trancing But who has experience with trance And can make sure that you're not going to Crash and burn Um, It's I'm going to date myself here, but you know, it's it's kind of like um, it, it's kind of like the the sort of drug parties that went on decades ago, and you always want one sober person in the room, kind of thing. Um, right. If you're if you're not you're not really in control, um, or not a hundred percent when you're trancing, you set everything up so that the system runs. Um, And that's what the training is for, so that you can set everything up and it it goes, and it sends you where you want to go, connects you with what you want to connect with, and then brings you back when you're done. Um, And as long as you have a clue what you're doing, um, it just works. But it's always a good idea to have a a person there who is not trancing, um, who can keep an eye on you, who can call you back if necessary, you know, it's that's just you know, it is it's the buddy system or whatever you want to call it, it's a safety kind of thing. Okay and you might okay. yeah, you might not you might not recognize it in, you know, what looks like a kind of wild voodoo or lukumi uh ritual, but um it, they, they have um people like that there too, the the monitors, the ones who are watching just to make sure everyone's right, still right. okay.
1: Okay. We're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, um, I want to talk a little bit more about if you um, have any specific examples of what might happen in a trance gone bad. Um, Also, if astral projection has anything at all to do with this, um, you know, as well as, you know, how hard maybe is it to learn to do this. So we'll come back and we'll talk about that. But First, I have a a word from Laura Perry.
0: (laughs) The Minoans of Ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labyrinth and Horns and Ariadne's Thread Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book and discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores Find out more on my website lauraperryauthor.com
1: back and um, I have with me Laura Perry and uh, we're in part one of uh, talking about trance uh, tomorrow at 5 o'clock Pacific time will be part two um, so Laura um, the times that I felt like I had these experiences myself the only negative effects I had uh, if you could call it negative was afterward I was emotionally and physically um, I I was very emotional, uh, but it uh, uh, lots of tears, but not tears of fear or tears of sorrow. Uh, just you know, uh, emotional, you know. And I'm not an emotional person. I'm more like Dr. Spock than Dr. McCoy, you know, Mr. Spock than Dr. McCoy. So um, I mean, can you give us an? And maybe that was because I wasn't grounded. I don't know um i didn't know what to do with that if that was a typical reaction when you come out of one of these things um i, I know can you speak to that a little bit was i having a you know kind of a, i mean did i do something wrong you know what does a bad trance look like
2: um well no i don't think you did anything wrong during the trance itself but you do need to ground to some extent when you come back um in uh, a Wiccan circle, um, if the uh, if the clergy has trance um, done you know done trance possession, whether it's drawing down the moon or, or some other um, method, that part comes before the cakes and wine. And so then after the trance is over, everyone has food and drink, and that is grounds you back into the world, you know, the material world and um, you know, that's, that's always a good idea after any kind of heavy spiritual work, you know, whether it's trance or something else, is to just do something you know, food's a really easy way to ground ourselves into the material world there are very few things as physical as eating um, but yeah, um And the the emotion, that's also perfectly normal, especially if you spend a lot of time with it all kind of bottled up. Because when you trance, you open the gates wide open. And as you're coming back out, it's all still open. And so it can just pour. And that's, you know, it can be disconcerting if you're used to being very controlled and very unemotional. But if we're really honest, it's probably good for you to just Mm -hmm. let it all pour out. Um But yeah, you do need to you do need to ground out afterwards, um, and it can still be very exhausting. I think a lot of people don't realize that energy work is every bit as tiring as as uh, physical labor. Um, yeah. yeah, any kind of <clears throat> energy work, whether it's trance or or um, shamanic journeying, which is a related activity, um, it can all be extremely, extremely tiring. And so you have to go okay. into it, understanding that that's going to happen, um, and and allowing okay. for it, allowing yourself to, you know, to have some time to recover.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah um you know a, a friend of mine and i we were doing I don't know this might sound silly, but we were trying to do a healing for her cat who was uh who was very ill, and uh, we put a call out for friends to send healing energy at a particular mm-hmm. Time so that all of the energy would, you know, be focused, you know, right there at the, you know, precise moment to coalesce it. Uh, we were in a room filled with probably dozens and dozens of crystals, and we were doing this healing ritual. I will never forget that. I mean, this is probably not exactly the same thing, but when you said energy work, it reminded me. The lights even flickered in the room, and the next yep. couple days, I was I, I was sick from it. I was re- it, I mean I it, it must have been oh. this huge download <laughs> you know uh but anyway just uh it it does go to show you how potent you know this really I think can all be uh and to respect it you know um yeah. so that was really a surprise mm-hmm. I, I didn't expect that in the least you know um but but uh you know but going back to the trance work um uh, you know, is it anything at all like astral projection? Um, is it, would you say that's maybe a form of trance work?
2: Um, gosh, <laughs> pigeonholing energetic uh, energy work is is even harder than pigeonholing parts of the material world. Um, I would say they're closely related. Um, in trance, you're not necessarily going outside yourself you're still here and, op- and you're opening up to have some some other energy, some other entity or being come in. Um, or actually, you, you might not even be, that, that would be for trance possession, for, for simple trance. Um, you might just be um, aiming to vibe with the energy uh, to receive inspiration or to energize um, yourself in some way um yeah it's um in my experience you have to achieve something like a trance state in order to do astral projection so they are related um and in um some kinds of trance work like ecstatic postures um a lot of those the purpose is to achieve the trance state and then do some kind of um journey work um some, some kind of, of astral journey, uh, spirit journey kind of thing. So, um, yeah, they're closely related.
1: So you just said ecstatic postures. Um, speak a little bit more about that because when you and I talked, you brought that up, and wow, I had never even heard of that before. Um, you know, tell, tell listeners what that is.
2: Okay, so most people, um, a lot of pagans have heard of the weird stuff the Druids did, right? So they would like stand on one leg um, for hours at a time and do all these strange strange poses. And the purpose of all of that um, was to reach a trance state. And um, you mentioned um, earlier uh, in, in tonight's, uh, so you mentioned being sleep and food deprived and um, those are things that can also be done to kind of push your body outside its normal range um, but in general ecstatic postures are specific poses that you use when you're going into trance um, that are designed to sort of tune your radio to the exact station you want Um this is something that we've been doing since the Paleolithic. Uh, these these poses show up in figurines um, that can be thousands and tens of thousands of years old. Um, and essentially, you uh, you assume the posture and then um, enter a trance state using whatever your preferred method is, whether you're um, whether someone is drumming for you or whether you're um, counting your breaths or something like that. And then the posture leads you to the type of trance experience that you want. So a, a posture might connect you with a specific deity or with a specific type of spirit journey. Um, so they're, in a sense, uh, they're a kind of text that's used um, with trance to, to achieve a specific spiritual
3: goal.
1: Okay. Um, well, th- that uh, website you sent me to, uh, the name, I can't think of it right now. Um,
3: <clears throat> do you recall the
1: one? Yes, yes. Um, yeah. I I went there and there were articles on there and one of them in particular caught my eye and it was about someone doing these ecstatic postures uh, to access Sekhmet energy and, and when I say Sepnet energy for listeners who maybe just know her as, you know, like her father, Ra's mercenary, I, I, I don't believe that that's really her true nature at all. She's a mother, a healer. She's tenacious and uh, courageous and all of that stuff. Anyway, I, I sent that link to a friend, and um, she did the postures, and she was blown away you know, she was blown away. Now, I haven't done it myself yet, um, but um, I I don't know. Not that I doubt it, they worked, but, you know, having a friend email me back the next day and go, wow, you have to do this, you know, (laughs) uh, because it it was like a new tool in our toolbox, you know.
2: (laughs) Well, and I guess maybe it seems... All kind of revelatory to us because we didn't grow up with it, right? A lot of this stuff has been lost, you know, over the past couple thousand years, um, has been lost or purposely um, has purposely disappeared, and so we're having to piece it back together a little bit at a time, you know, and and everything that we can, every every bit of information that we can glean from uh, from history and archaeology and dance ethnography and any other um any other field that can tell us something about how people have done these things before uh, is valuable.
1: Yeah, and and about uh you know who can do this, how easily it is. Um I think I might be getting the books confused now, but I think again in lifting the veil they spoke about how we are really wired to be able to do this um oh, yeah. we just don't know it you know and um, yeah. that kind of you know that was encouraging <laughs> you know um you know that that it's part of our um you know uh, it, it's part of our makeup our neurological makeup i think uh to yeah. actually be able to do this um, do you know any more about it than, than uh, you know, that aspect of it than what I just said? Because, you know, that's about the limit of what I can remember I read.
2: Yeah, there there's um, almost all of the research that goes into altered states of consciousness falls um, very heavily on the, the side of sort of um, alternative science research, very definitely not mainstream, and... Um, I don't honestly know enough about how any of the research is done to be able to judge any of it. Um, but it's it's clear that the way we are physically built, the way our brains and our, our nervous systems work, um, is just is is really designed for us to be able to easily um, shift into these altered states. Um, it's a real shame that in this sort of, post-reformation, post-enlightenment society, everyone is taught that, uh, that that that's not normal. What's normal is being in the awake alert state, you know, so you can get your work done at your cubicle job or whatever. Um, right. I, I, I try not to sound real preachy about this, but I really think that modern culture is profoundly ecstasy deprived we do not have ecstatic experiences on a regular basis and I think that is a major part of what is missing. That, that's, that's a major part of the emptiness that so many people are trying to fill.
1: Yeah, um, I, I believe that. And I, I keep going back to that book um, because it was so, uh, re- you know, resourceful. Um, you know, they talked in there about the Dionysian ecstatic ritual versus mm-hmm. the more uh, the, uh, Apollonian kind of uh, more structured ritual and I'll tell you the Virgo part of me would probably initially be drawn to the structured ritual but I feel totally deprived that I have not had more of the ecstatic experience you know the few times I think I touched it it was um, it was almost I think addictive Um, you know there was just something about it that it's hard to even verbalize yeah well, and you don't have to have the sort of
2: wild and crazy um that there are lots of different ways to do it because you know drawing down the goddess into a priestess and having the deity speak through them or or um having a, a sather session with the uh with uh Odin or one of the other Norse gods speaking through um speaking through the priestess and that situation that's a fairly controlled setting that's not wild and crazy um but it is right. also profoundly it's profoundly powerful if you've ever been um in a ritual where there was possession like that there is absolutely no question that you are in the presence of the numinous it's um it's like so, it, it warps the fabric of time
1: so speak about that a little bit. How does somebody know that it's really happening or it's just an act or the priest or priestess's ego at play?
2: Well, that's um, that's a difficult thing for a lot of people to suss out if they're not learning how to do it in, um, in a teaching kind of setting because we... Um, Our culture gives us these constant messages about how that kind of stuff's not real. You're just imagining it, right? Or you just want to think you're special. Um, And so we're getting these constant messages encouraging us to dismiss these experiences. Um, So it can be very difficult um, to, to determine what's really going on if you're not in a setting where you've got a teacher there explaining it to you as you're going through it. But ultimately, I think we have to rely on um, rely on our own intuition. If you have a relationship with a deity and you feel pretty darn certain that that deity is right there or has even kind of slipped into you as if you were a garment, um, then there's a pretty good chance that's what's really happening. Um, it's, it is really hard to turn off all the... The little negative comments that um, modern Western culture tries to brainwash us with, so yeah, yeah it, it can be tricky.
1: Well, you know, this isn't trance work per se, but it's one of these uh, kinds of, you know, it, it, uh, did deity really show up? Um, you know, at the Goddess Temple down in Orange County in Southern California, they were installing a larger than life-size seated statue of Sekhmet on a three-foot-tall pyramid throne, and uh, it was a big deal for the community. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they installed her one night with a uh, a grand ritual that we, I mean, people were busting at the seams to get in and and uh, take part in this ritual. And uh, it started out where she was hidden behind um, velvet curtains uh, for most of the night. And, you know, we had the dance and the singing and the storytelling and everything kind of leading up to her unveiling. And I have to tell you, when when they pulled those curtains and they unveiled her, the lights started blinking in the temple. And there was nobody doing it, you know. Um And you really just got a sense of okay, you know SECMED is in the building you know i i and and it was it was an energy of the room too I mean you know sometimes these things are it's hard to convey what you're feeling and seeing, you know um but um I, you know even for, for for you know me and my skeptical self um i i don't know i i kind of believed it you know it it felt it felt real to me
2: yeah there there is a point at which you just have to allow yourself to experience whatever's going on um Now, if you're talking about uh, transpossession with a deity, then um, that's a little different. But, yeah, I mean, the, the question is, do you believe that the numinous exists or not? And if you believe that it exists, then there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't encounter it in your life.
1: Right, right. Um, Okay, we're going to take one last quick break, and then we're going to come back, and I want to talk to you about what value you believe uh, trance can add to uh, our spiritual practice and our everyday lives, and then we'll talk a little bit more about what we're going to chat about tomorrow. Does that sound okay?
2: That sounds great.
1: Okay. All right, so here's a word from Joe Carson.
3: Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is what Drusilla Pettibone said on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I don't think I can comment on it adequately until I've had a chance to watch it a couple more times. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about henges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was obviously very beautiful, and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow a visual feast, and with so many layers. I am also so pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com
1: Okay, so I am here with uh, Laura Perry today, and uh, it's part one of our two-part discussion on exploring trance. Um, today was kind of our intro. Tomorrow we'll delve deeper. Um, so, Laura, what do you think um, the value of this can be for us in, you know, our spiritual practice and maybe even our everyday lives?
2: Okay, so I'm going to go back to the idea of modern Western culture being ecstasy-deprived. So essentially, we have systematically removed the mystery, the capital M mystery from our lives um, over the past however many centuries. And that removes the opportunity for altered states of consciousness. And since our nervous systems are wired for these states, I mean, this is this is part a natural part of our being. Um, we are essentially deficient in these altered states of consciousness. Our modern culture does not fulfill that need most of the time. Um, and so we go looking for any way we can think of to step outside the ordinary and into the numinous. Um, so, um, like we've, we've talked about the problems with um, being being protected or being wide open to whatever might be there that might not be friendly to you. Um, that's a problem because it's, trance is not a typical part of our culture. But if you add it back in, if you have the resources to learn and practice it, um, then that gives you the opportunity to be in direct contact with the divine. I mean, that's that's what pagan most pagan paths are about um is not needing that catholic priest to talk to god for us it's about not just being able to talk to the gods ourselves but being able to actually be with them in some way um and so that um you you add that experience of drawing down the goddess into the priestess into a ritual and it changes everyone's experience of it and deepens it um It reminds you in a really visceral way that you are truly an infinite being i mean there's i know i'm I'm sounding sort of sloppy sloppily poetic at this point, but um it's. It's one of those uh, experiences that is hard to put into words. Um, but it trance in, in any um, purposeful form, whether you're, um, whether you're just lightly trancing to drumming um, as a way to uh, relax, Uh, in the evening or whether you're participating in a ritual that involves deeper trance, whether you're trance journeying yourself um, or participating in trance possession Um, all of these are ways to expand ourselves um, to be more multifaceted than just our ordinary lives Um, and so it it adds more dimension I guess you could say um yeah. and it helps it helps us be more fully who we are and who we can be.
1: Well, I I wonder too if you feel like you have a pipeline to the divine, um, and of course, you know, you don't let your ego get the best of you, uh, that would be an empowering thing. I mean, um I would imagine that would help people feel connected uh, help people feel like they're not alone, help maybe depression and anxiety? I don't know. Am I going too far with this? Um, I think it probably depends on the individual
2: and and how, um, how they integrate the practice of trance into um, their spiritual lives and their daily lives. But it definitely, um, for me anyway, it provides a sort of, you know, we talk about grounding after coming back from trance, but but to me, trance itself and that connection with the divine that um, that is so profound in a trance state, to me, that's the ultimate grounding thing because it makes me feel that I'm not just part of the material world, but I'm part of the entire universe. And that's a very different right. kind of mindset.
0: Right, right.
1: So um, how, I mean, is it very hard to learn to do this? I mean, do you think anyone can do it? (laughs)
2: Um, There are probably people who can't, and I probably am not enough of an expert to even have a clue why they can't, but pretty much everyone I have ever known who has wanted to uh, get into trance in one way or another has been able to do it. I mean, for Pete's sake, little kids spin around until they get high. That's trance. That's, you know, it's, it's part of being human. It's right. That's
1: Right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what tomorrow, uh, well, 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 before we go there, um, any more, uh, I mean, do you think there's any more we need to cover as our introduction to this? Uh, before we talk about um, what tomorrow's show is going to cover
2: um, well okay um, one one uh, odd tidbit that my, uh, my first priestess pointed out to me is that um, just like standard hypnotism trance can be used to control pain and bleeding when someone's injured until they can get proper medical care um, so it and and it someone who is practiced in trance can maintain all kinds of poses for an extended period of time without any discomfort so it definitely does an end run around our usual idea of the way the physical works
1: hmm
2: um and uh, i it think well, it's it, i think it's really that you
1: say that yeah it it's mm-hmm. interesting that you say that because when you said the druids stood on one foot, my thought was if I had to stand there on one foot, I don't think I'd be able to think about anything but how uncomfortable I was, um, you know. Uh, so this kind of brings a different dimension to it.
2: Yeah, um, I I have found especially with the ecstatic postures that um, oppose a pose the starts out. I I don't do any of the ones that are... I don't do anything that's particularly uh, uncomfortable and definitely not anything that's painful. But I've found um, that when I start out in an ecstatic posture that's just a little tiring um, or maybe just a little bit uncomfortable, once I drop all the way down into trance, I don't even feel it anymore because I'm doing something else at that point and my body's just kind of holding for me waiting for me to be done okay so um, and
1: and I'm sorry I interrupted you um did uh, you were you were in the process of saying uh, what more you wanted to share in this intro part um, was was there a bit more
2: oh heavens I have no idea
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> okay well, you know, think about it tonight, and if so, we'll you know we'll do that at the top of the show tomorrow, uh, before we okay. get to the deeper stuff. Um, I mean, I think tomorrow uh, we'll talk more about um, the methods we can use uh, or what's okay. been used uh, through time uh, to help us uh, enter trance. Um, uh, maybe the difference between trance and trance possession. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'd love to hear more about you know as much as you feel like sharing about your experiences. Um, I can share a little bit of mine. Okay. Um, you know, th- uh, things. Uh, how long does it take to go into trance? Uh, that was one of the things I did get a good grasp of in when I read um, uh, Janet's book. Uh, because they would talk about the rituals, and you got a sense of it was quick, like snapping your fingers, but I kind of, I don't know, maybe it can work that way, but I wonder if it always does. I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, maybe more okay. about ecstatic postures, um, okay. you know, pathworking and guided journeys. Um, uh you know uh, or, or and, and what else from your end, I mean what what more uh, but beyond what I've said, do you think we need to go into tomorrow? Um, well, I was just thinking in terms of like what
2: uh, what are the um traditions that use trance um besides the ones like the African syncretic traditions? there are um, modern pagan traditions that use trance or that have um, sort of reconstructed or revived um, ancient methods. And so, um, you know, we could talk about that kind of thing. Um, And just, yeah, um, the, the concept of how long it takes to get into trance is an interesting one, so we can definitely talk about that one.
1: Um, and also, too, I mean, there are different brainwave states, you know, alpha, beta, theta. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you can go there, uh, you know, on that scientific level, but if you know anything about that, I'm curious. Um, and I know, too, that there's something about, uh, I think it's 32 hertz, um, or was it 120 hertz? I'm going to have to research it before tomorrow. Uh, but there's supposed to be a, um, a vibration, uh, a certain hertz vibration that they claim vibrates at the different sacred sites. And um, I wonder if, um, you know, like for instance, if drumming or sound is a, you know, because it's a method, if the hertz... Of the sound matters, so um, you know that's something I'm curious about i I you know if you happen to know I mean I'm not sending you on a fact finding mission tonight uh, you <laughs> okay. know, just if you happen to know that's uh, uh that's something i have been curious about as well so okay um, all right, so um anything more for today, Laura?
0: I, uh, I think we've
2: covered pretty much all the bases for um, for just, a, if you're looking for just an overview, um, we can definitely get into some uh, more specific stuff tomorrow.
1: Okay, sounds wonderful. Well, this has been fun, and um, I want to thank you for your time today. And uh, uh, tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel. <laughs>
2: yep. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> Okie
1: doke. Okay, well, you have a good night, and uh, we'll talk tomorrow at 5 Pacific. All right. Okay, bye-bye. All right, well, that'll about do it for us uh, today, listeners. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Tell your friends. And uh, until tomorrow, may Isis embrace you in her golden wings. Uh, Goodbye for now.